talk about church is a team sport. Now, this is quite interesting, the difference between individual sports and team sports. So what's an example of a team sport? Football. Who plays sport? Football. Football is a team sport. It's not really something you can play on your own. Um, I guess you can, but it's not quite the same. And what's an example of an individual sport? Tennis. Tennis, yes. Unless you play doubles. Then it suddenly becomes a team sport. Um, but it's interesting, the different dynamic between an individual sport and a team sport. And then what happens when you turn an individual kind of sport into a team sport? Like doubles, tennis. Or tennis is individual game, but when you turn it into the Davis Cup, it suddenly becomes a team sport and it changes the dynamic. Mm. Or golf. You know, golf is a very individualistic thing. Your performance is completely dependent on yourself and maybe a clever caddy that gives you some tips, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, mostly on yourself. And, um, but then change it into the Ryder Cup and suddenly it becomes a team sport with some very interesting dynamics. So, uh, I love sport, I love playing sport, I love uh, doing sport, I love watching sport, and I've learned a lot from, from that. Uh, and, the, and sport is even in the Bible, so it's okay. We can talk about that. Yes, yeah, we're not going to look at that today, but uh, there's something if you didn't know that. So a quick review, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about Saul being transformed to Paul and how his life was transformed from being a persecutor and a killer of Christians to being a Christian himself. <clears throat> and we concluded that with the power of a testimony. And uh, as a reminder, maybe for all of us, uh, you know, have you thought about your testimony? What would you share with someone if you had to share your testimony? That famous elevator pitch or that two-minute talk. Uh, how would you sum up your testimony in a few sentences or only one sentence? Right, so that's where we finished off. Paul getting converted, being transformed. And uh, we pick up the story in Acts 9, verse 19, where Saul now joins the team. And depending on your Bible, there may be a heading that sort of splits verse 19 in two. And I'll, sp I'll start in the second half of Acts 9, verse 19. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. It's interesting, the, the hunter now becomes the hunted. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So from there he goes to, uh, to Jerusalem, uh, so he had to flee Damascus, goes to Jerusalem in verse 26. I mean, imagine that. Like, and let me go back to that place where I was uh, killing all those Christians. I'm sure I'll, I'll receive a very warm welcome. <laughs> so verse 26, I mean, the boldness and the courage of this. 
So when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But guess what? They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. That's kind of understandable. It's like, hang on, Paul, last time you saw, we saw you, you were killing us. Is this some scheme, you know, like trying to infiltrate us, you know, to find the ones that you couldn't find when you went from house to house? So they didn't really believe. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him, and so Barnabas was his friend in Damascus. So he came, obviously came with him to Jerusalem. So Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And again, the hunter becomes the hunted. Verse 30, when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now the interesting thing is, <coughs> we read this and it's, it's a narrative. It's a, it's a little story of what happened to Paul. And it's always interesting to stop and think, but how do I get meaning out of this story for myself? How do I not just read it as a piece of history and say, oh, well, that's an interesting piece of history, or think like, oh, that's a boring piece of history. I mean, that's like a long time ago. How do we get meaning out of a passage, passage like this? I really enjoyed uh, last week when Malcolm took a very familiar passage about uh, disciples going on mission and, and put a completely different perspective on it by saying, let's forget all those, you know, what the disciples did, but let's see how, what we can learn about the character of God. And that's really interesting how we can see the same thing from different perspectives. So back to sports. What does a referee see when he referees a game? There's some unknown uh, referee there refereeing a... a <laughs> I don't know. We can only see him from behind. So who, who knows? It may possibly be a younger version of me. Um, but there are many perspectives on a game. Uh, I'm an I'm a IRB level two qualified referee, rugby referee. Um, so that used to be me in a few years back, a younger version of me. And what's really interesting when you referee rugby, how many different perspectives there are on the game. <laughs> how people see different things depending on their perspective and the different glasses they look through. Uh, I mean, if you ever watched a, a game of your favorite sport and, you know, you are sure that guy in whatever it is, football, you know, when he scored the goal, you are convinced he was offside. How could the referee not see it? <laughs> now, it's very interesting <coughs> in rugby refereeing, uh, you're always in an ongoing development program which is a really great uh, environment to be in. So after every game, you have a debriefing with the coaches of the two teams and the captains of the two teams. And uh, it's always very interesting to, to, to hear completely different feedback. And you think like, hang on, were these two guys at the same game? <laughs> 
did they see the same game that I was refereeing? And then sometimes they're like, did you not see that? I'm like, no, I did not see that. How is that possible? I missed that. And then I would say something and like, no, I didn't see that. I said, like, well, I was right there. I saw it. It is really interesting, the different perspectives. Um, just even last year in the autumn internationals with rugby, South Africa came to play England. And South Africa were like two points behind. They just needed a penalty kick to win the game. And Owen Farrell clearly, clearly tackled uh, the, the South African high and with a shoulder charge with no arm. I mean, everybody saw it. At least 50 million South Africans would agree with me that it should have been a penalty. And then about uh, 60 million, well, uh, I guess the UK is not... It's more than England. I don't know how much England. Let's say 40 million in England clearly disagreed. <laughs> I said, no, that's not a penalty. That was a fair tackle. Yeah. So exactly. now. <laughs> the right. Exactly, yes, yeah. So now the interesting thing is, in the debriefing afterwards, it was exactly the same thing. There was a 50-50 split in opinion about should it have been a penalty or not. And it all depends on perspective. The glasses that you look through, how you see something, and sometimes we bring our own bias to it, but also sometimes it's what do I want to get out of this that change how I look at, look at it. Of course, in that game, if you're a South African, you want to win. So that's, you want to get a win out of it so you see, no, it clearly was a penalty. So a very, another interesting thing which I, which I noticed as a referee, you know, the, what, I love, what I love about refereeing is that you, you're so close to the game. And you observe the interactions and how teams work. And one of the things that really I found find fascinating is that it is not always the most skilled and most talented players in a team or the team with the most skilled and talented players who win. I've seen very average teams with no clear talent or no outstanding talent, no X-factor players, with not fantastic skills win because they play together better as a team, because they have a better team spirit. I've seen teams that have these star players, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's going to play for his country one day, and, but the spirit in the team was a lot of bickering, and if anybody made a mistake, they would be uh, rebuked, oh, how can you do that, come on, man. Whereas the other team, when someone made a mistake, they would encourage them and say, come on, keep it up, try harder, we know you can do it. Uh, with a completely different spirit. And, the, and the, the team with the lesser skills and the lesser talent would win because they work together better as a team and they have a, a better team spirit. Um, so that's, that's uh, some of the things I've seen, my perspective as a, as a referee. Now back to the Bible. What do you see when you read a passage in the Bible? Especially a narrative passage like this. We see different things depending on how mature we are in our spiritual lives, how we grow and develop. Um, when, I, when I did my first refereeing course, the, the very first IRB level zero course is 90% just learning the rules. When you get to IRB level two, which is basically refereeing one level below professional rugby, only 10% is about the rules. And 90% of what you learn is about game management, player interaction, managing difficult players, communicating with players, 
and very little about the rules. When I just became a Christian, this is my first Bible when I became a, a Christian. And becoming a disciple, I was like, okay, this is great now. Okay, I'm a disciple now. What do I do was my first sort of question. And I went through this Bible, and I started with my colored uh, pencil, started coloring it in, a bit like this. Maybe you have a Bible like that as well. And it is full of colors. I started off with only two colors. One color for the do's and one color for the don'ts. <laughs> and I thought, okay, if I just do that, and I'm going to read it from Genesis to Revelation, then I will know what I'm supposed to do now that I'm a disciple. And I actually did that. I went all the way through. And then I, the more I read, by the time I got to the end, I realized that, you know what, this is, there's a lot more to this than just about what I'm supposed to not do and do. So I added two colors, and I went through it again from beginning to end. And I said, oh, this is actually about my relationship with God. It's not only about what I'm supposed to do and not do. So I added colors with, for the character of God and how to worship God. And I added colors with how God works in people's lives and, and passages of encouragement. And I realized, wow, there's a lot more to this than just the rules. When I started off, that's the way my perspective on what I try to get out of the Bible. What am I supposed to do and not do? And then I matured to, oh, there's more to it than that. There's a relationship behind it. So that's the same with when we read our Bibles, even when we read a story like this one of Saul. And that's a, if you like learning new words, there's a big word for you to learn <coughs> called hermeneutic which is the methodology of interpretation. Basically, how do we read the Bible? How do we get meaning out of the text? How do we... Is there a... Is, is that button a... Yeah. Oh, there is a pointer. Oh, okay. So, you know, sometimes... Have you heard the expression, people look at life through rose-colored glasses? You know, glasses like that. And then everything you look at is just pink and beautiful and rosy. Life is rosy. <laughs> And there's different colored glasses, and, and depending on which color you put on, you see different things. It can be the same with the, when we read the Bible. We can extract different things by putting on different glasses and reading it with a different perspective. So, for example, our theme for the year. If we make the orange glasses there, in him too, you are being built. It's the building of the church. That's orange glasses. Together, somehow my green, my... Hmm. Now that is interesting. It's this Apple Mac. I'm sure. <laughs> on my... Different interpretation. <laughs> I'm sure on my PowerPoint in Microsoft Windows, that was blue when I left this morning. But okay. <clears throat> it's green now. But okay, we'll pretend those are, that's a blue glasses. So... The church being built together is blue. That sort of pinkish rose is a dwelling in which God lives. And then his spirit is yellow. Different things that jump up. So, for example, if you're reading the Bible and say, man, I, I'm just learning about the Holy Spirit, and suddenly you see the spirit everywhere, and you see, oh, this verse, the verse talks about his spirit. And you may miss everything else that, that comes there. Mm. I did that once. I read through the Bible just looking for everything about the Holy Spirit. 
And I was very surprised at how much of the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament, for example. I thought, oh, he's just in the New, New Testament. So, if we read this Acts story again through these four different colored glasses, suddenly a lot of things jump out of the text. I'm not going to read through, through it all again, but I just highlighted it. For example, blue is the, the together bit. So, oh, Saul spent days time with the disciples. His followers took him by night. And so if you read it, you can say, oh, there's a bit about the Holy Spirit. There's a bit about uh, the church and building the church. And then the next bit, there's more about all the together things. Then there's a bit about what God does. And again, about building the church and building the church. And then together again, and God and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and suddenly there's a lot of themes that jump out. So I'm going to summarize this. Uh, I did that, and I thought, hang on, there's actually two things for me that came out of this, two big things. Christianity is a team sport. First of all, God works in the team. God works in the team. First of all, God works through the Holy Spirit. It says that Saul grew more and more powerful. How do we grow more and more powerful? Is it through our own strength? Do we grow spiritually because, you know, we become so awesome? We see it many times in the Bible that it's really our strength comes from the Holy Spirit that lives <coughs> within us and grows within us. We see there that Saul learned of their plan. Now, that's an interesting one. How did Saul learn of their plan, you know, the, the plan to kill him? Well, it doesn't actually say. It didn't say if there was someone who came and told him or maybe he overheard a conversation. Who knows? But somehow he learned of their plan. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've experienced that, but I've seen it uh, over my years as disciples. I've seen it so many times. It's amazing how the Spirit sometimes reveals things to us where we think, oh, that was a coincidence. Well, it's like, actually, it wasn't a coincidence. God was working behind the scenes and revealed it through his Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we see that the church enjoyed, enjoyed a time of peace. Now, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, is peace. Uh, the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Well, we sometimes say we need to encourage one another. Yes, the Bible says that, but the Spirit encourages us as well. And it increased in numbers. I'll come back to that uh, increased in numbers. We'll come back to that a bit later. Then we see how God works in another way. So this is God works through the Holy Spirit. God also works personally. Uh, God works. He worked by appearing to Saul, and, it, and the story is being told. He's seen the Lord, and he spoke to him directly, not through the Holy Spirit, but directly. And in verse 31, the church was living in the fear of the Lord. That is a, what was characteristic of the church, that focus on God. That's like, in, you know, this is what church really is about. This is what our Christian lives is about. So God works in this team called church. We also work in the team. And a lot of what we read in this passage is about this working together, working together as a church. Even as an used-to-be enemy of the church, Saul spent several days with the disciples. 
And the very guys that he was trying to kill now saved his life by taking him at night and lowering him in a basket through the wall of the, of the city. Now you may think, like, what is that? Oh, how does that work? Well, in those days, you know, Damascus was a walled city, and at night they would close the gates. Nobody comes in, nobody goes out. Uh, and they were watching the gates to kill him if he leaves. So they, on the city wall, there were windows, and they put him in a basket and lowered him down to, so he could escape from, from the city. The people that he tried to kill now rescued him, saved his life. Um, in Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, the very first thing he did. That was his heart. That is really what our hearts and lives should be about as well, is that sense of togetherness. I sometimes ask the question, you know, if, if we had no organized meetings, like, okay, you know, we are meeting on Sunday at 10.30 in Watford, and we're meeting at, uh, on a Wednesday at this one's house for Bible talk or whatever, family group meeting. What would your Christian life be like? Would you be like Paul that says, oh, the first thing I'm going to do is try and join the disciples. Not find out, okay, what time are you meeting? Check the internet. But, oh, where's the disciples? Let me meet with the disciples. Regardless of whatever is organized and programmed. Um, they were afraid of him. Okay, that's understandable. Not believing that he really was a disciple. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, that's something we all need someone like Barnabas in our lives as disciples, someone that's a, that's a real friend, someone that can uh, uh, be there for us when we need them. And Barnabas was like this for Saul. He said he basically became his advocate and said, guys, I know this is the one that tried to kill you, but now he's converted as well. Please, this is his story. Accept him into the fellowship. Um, so what did Saul do? He stayed with him. And again, the Christians in Jerusalem saved his life. They were working together as a church. And it is that sense of team spirit and encouragement and forgiveness that really provided a source of strength for the church in Jerusalem at a time of persecution and a lot of pain and suffering. And then uh, we also work, a team only works if every individual in the team does his work. If everyone plays his part and does his best. So we see here that with the example of Saul, what did he do? Well, at once he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. There's an interesting thing here. What was Jesus preaching? Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. I think sometimes uh, there was a time when I realized, you know what? Maybe in Africa or certain places that are very religious, uh, it's easy to invite someone to church. But that's not really preaching the gospel. When I went to Amsterdam, I realized, like, you invite someone to church, they either have no idea what you're talking about, or they think you want to go sightseeing and go and watch some, uh, some nice old buildings with glass windows and things. <laughs> or they're like, in, oh, no, I've heard some bad things about churches, you know, all those pedophile priests who are, uh, you know, in the news. And they're like, in, the shutters come down. It's like, in, go away. I don't want to talk to you. And uh, so in, I learned that, you know what, it's, 
the gospel that Paul preached wasn't come to church. The gospel that he preached was, let me tell you about Jesus. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us as well, you know, as Christians. What is the gospel that you preach? Is it the come to church with me gospel? Or is it the let me tell you about Jesus gospel? That's what Saul did. Preaching Jesus, Son of God, proving that he is the Messiah. How did he do that? Well, he preached fearlessly. He was speaking boldly. He talked and he debated. And then very interesting, I made it in different colors. It finishes off the church increased in numbers. Where does that fit in? Well, it's kind of a conclusion of the team working together. The church increased in numbers because God was working. The church increased in numbers because the Holy Spirit was working. The church increased in numbers because the disciples were working together and forgiving each other and actually accepting those who were sinners before into their fellowship and not telling people like, Paul, no, you used to kill us. You can't be in our number. And the church grew because everyone was doing his part. Everyone was doing his part of the work, preaching the gospel, spreading the news. So how do we apply this uh, to ourselves? Well, the question is, ask ourselves, what is my role in the team? What am I supposed to do? You know, if you're a, a football player, you're a defender, then it's like, an, okay, make sure those guys don't come close to the goal. That's about as much as I know about football. But uh, I think it's something like that. And if you're a striker, your, your role is to go and try and get the ball in the goal. Everyone has a role. It's not always the same role, but there are some things which are common to all roles which is give your best, try hard. Um, and from this passage, there's some thoughts about my team role. The Holy Spirit, well, isn't that something that he does? Yes, but I have a role in that as well. To listen to the Holy Spirit, to realize that my strength and my encouragement comes from the Holy Spirit, to find peace in the Holy Spirit, to fear the Lord, it says the, the church grew because they feared the Lord. They were at peace because they feared the Lord. Uh, to spend time with disciples. To help each other. To trust each other. And then as an individual, my role in the team is to also preach like Saul did. Fearlessly, boldly, to talk, to debate. And then finally, my role is to leave the increase in God's hands. Because, you know, we cannot force people to accept Christ. We cannot make them say yes to Jesus. That is really in God's hands. It's in God's hands to change hearts. It's in God's hands to work behind the scenes and connect people and make things happen. <coughs> As individuals, we can do all these other things and then leave the increase in God's hands. So let's think about what is my role in the team? How am I doing in that? What areas can I grow in my role in this uh, team Christian, team church? And something else to maybe think about. What it is, is there something that I was trying to do myself that I actually need to let go and think, you know what? There's some other team members that can help with this. 
either God the Father or the Holy Spirit or some other Christians. And I can let go. I don't necessarily need to do this. So those are some thoughts um, on uh, Christianity and church. Church is a team sport made up of individuals, each one doing his part, but actually working together as a team. Let's pray together. Dear God, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your incredible word, Father, for, for the lessons we can learn from the Bible, Father, uh, from the inspiration we can get from it, God. Thank you, God, that uh, your spirit is with us and encourages us and strengthens us, God. Father, thank you for calling us uh, into your, your kingdom, God. Thank you, God, for uh, the opportunity for us to hear the gospel as well, God, Father. And we pray for, uh, uh, that you help us to also uh, go out and preach the gospel, Father, in, uh, in this world around us, God. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs>